Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks. Have a beautiful day. Yeah, it is. It was very nice yesterday. It's supposed to even be nicer today. Um, so, Bruce, there's not a ton of Oilers news per se. This is the time of year, which usually is like mid, what is it? Mid-May, late May, we're getting towards yeah. late May um, yeah. in the in the regular hockey season when teams would be starting to make, looking at making moves in a couple of weeks once the Stanley Cup right. finals are over, essentially. So that's where the Oilers are, and that's where uh, I think we are, both looking at the team and trying to figure out. Fans are doing the same thing, and actually, um, um, uh, I had a poll about that. Before I get into any of that, though, Bruce, uh, there was a number of people who brought up an issue of lots of ads running during this podcast on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big discussion thread on this. I can say that I talked to my editor. He's looking into why there were so many ads. Obviously, you have an ad every couple minutes. That's that's not something that we want. And I don't think it's actually... It, the preliminary finding may be that this is nothing to do with the journal. This may be a YouTube right. issue where they're inserting the ads and uh, they do it um, to lots of videos. And if you don't have the YouTube premium service, you have to watch all these ads. Nonetheless, it was excessive. So we're trying to get to the bottom of it and see what's happening. This, this, uh, po- like if you do just want to listen to the podcast, you right. can listen to it on, it's on Apple and Google play and you can just listen straight through you. Of course you can't see us which is another benefit oh, wow. of doing it that way. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, so we, I we, audit, listen, we're not happy. About, yeah, no. we're not happy about that. You know, this broadcast being brought up by ads, but, you know, we, we are as in the dark as anyone. We're trying to get some answers, and I don't know if the problem will be resolved or not. Maybe it was a one-time thing. Bruce, today we're going to talk about um, some of the things Holland's talking about, thinking, got to be thinking about, you know, big trades. Um, what What is he going to do with... Athanasiu. Um, well, what is he going to do with Chris Russell? And uh, what is he going to do with uh, the top four D with Pugliarvi, which we've touched on in the past. We'll get into that. What's he going to do in net? In um, Let's just start with Athanasiu. I'll have to look up the poll as we're talking that I did on this issue because um, fans weighed in on this. And uh, anyway, I did a, I did a kind of a look uh, at Andreas Athanasiu, and this was spurred on. There's lots of talk right now, Bruce, about the Oilers maybe making a play for Jake DeBrusque of the Boston yeah. Bruins, which I think is completely, personally, I think it's completely unrealistic. I, I suspect that if there's rumors about this, maybe it's DeBrusque's agent trying to drive up DeBrusque's price in Boston. That this doesn't have, to me, this doesn't have the air of reality uh, to it that he would come here. Like, what are the Oilers going to do? You know, trade what to get Jake DeBrusque? But the interesting thing, Bruce, is over the last two years, if you look at even strength scoring, so that's not, you know, get rid of the power play, essentially, Andreas Athanasiu and Jake DeBrusque have almost identical levels of even strength scoring last two years. Almost exactly. They're at like 1.9 points per 60, which is a pretty good level for a winger, though not a great level. A great level is like, Two and above, two points per 60 and above, you know, get to three points per 60 and above you and you're a superstar. So they're at 1.9. And I think if you said right now, well, the Oilers could get Tyler Johnson or Tyler Toffoli or Jake DeBrusque 
and pay $3 million a year, most Oilers fans would be doing a handstand. They would be so happy to hear that right. they, they could get one of those players for $3 million a year. And um, But the fact is, those players all have essentially equal or less even strength scoring to Athanasio over the last two years. Now, I, I understand that's just one way of rating them. That's just looking essentially at offensive ability. But I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty good measure of offensive ability. And it's and it also um, the, the other problem would be that's over two years. And it, and when you look at Athanasiu and these other players more recently, Athanasiu is a cut below the other guys. He's at 1.5 points per 60, and the other guys are at like 1.8 for uh, DeBrusque and 2.2 for Toffoli, 1.8 for Johnson, I think, just this last year. So if you just look at right. this last year, Athanasiu doesn't look as good. But the thing that got me thinking, Bruce, he's only 26. Um, what you're really worried about in terms of drops of scoring is that a player has been injured or he's getting old and can't keep up the scoring rate. And what you don't want to be swayed by is a player who has an off year in terms of scoring. And um, maybe that's just a fantasy. just had a bit of an off year. He's a more uh, reliable scorer than that. And he's not a bad bet in the end, even at $3 million for next year. So, these aren't. This isn't an easy question to answer. You have to think. What? Who is the real Andreas Athanasio? The one who scored thirty goals two years ago, or the one who got eleven goals this year, essentially? Right. But he's only twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have more to say on the player, but what do you think so far? What's what are your thoughts? Well, I, he was a big disappointment, I think, in terms of what they what they paid for. You know, the next two second round draft picks. If you think back, the last two second-round draft picks, the Oilers got uh, uh, Ryan McLeod and Raphael Lavoie, who are two of the top forward prospects in the organization. You know, that's a pretty steep price to have to pay uh, for a guy who comes in and makes as little impact as he made in, uh, in a short time. Uh, I think in retrospect, we can we can step back and say he just had a real bad season in 2019-20. And even with a several month break, he wasn't able to turn that around in the playoffs, which isn't a good sign. But the, but the year before, he was a 30 goal scorer in the National Hockey League, playing on a pretty poor team in Detroit. And you know what? He wasn't like playing with the top players in Detroit. You know, his most common line mate the last two years was Luke Glendening, right? Is that right? Played, he played with Tyler Bertuzzi a uh, uh, fair little bit, about six hours, but he played with Franz Nielsen. Valtteri Filpula, Darren Helm, uh, and then you have to go way down to like uh, 200 minutes or so before you get to guys like Anthony Mantha, Thomas Vanek, Dylan Larkin. So he wasn't playing a lot with, uh, you know, Detroit's first line players. And I think that speaks to what kind of player he is. In Detroit, he was seen as a guy that maybe is best as a driver on a lower line as opposed to a guy that, you know, plays well with others, as uh, Low Tide likes to put it, uh, from the old report card uh, um, comment. Um, and maybe that's what we saw in Edmonton, was that he uh, uh, he had some fairly effective moments against Chicago uh, when he was on the third line, and he was the guy taking the puck and driving the blue line, taking it wide and challenging the defenseman. And that's not necessarily what you want to see a winger do when he's on a line with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. So in some ways, it's kind of self-limiting on what the expectations can be from the player. 
On the other hand, a guy who can drive offense from a bottom six is a valuable commodity. Yeah, if he's getting, let's say, one point, um, one point nine points per sixty as a third line winger, I can see paying three million. And now, now, of course, that's just his offense. And there's a there there was I think right. both statistical there was a statistical information that something's really wrong with his two way game. You know, the minus whatever he was, mm-hmm. minus five thousand and twenty. Yeah, what was it? Minus forty six this year. Yep, on the green um, jacket, biggest yeah. minus in the NHL. So. And listen, there was also visual, like just watching him in the playoffs for us. He just seemed, at least when he got put up with uh, Dry Settle and Yamamoto, his forecheck, he just seemed lost. But you know what? I, I, I liked him until then. When he was on the third line in the playoffs against Chicago, I was thinking, oh, he's he's looking good, this guy. So I think that's, that's you know, that's a really interesting thing. I don't think he works at all with give and go players who play well with each other. That's not his game. He's not a high IQ offensive hockey player. He's a get the puck and go hard to the net offensive hockey player. And maybe that's what he is for the Oilers next year. Have him on a third line with, you know, mm-hmm. maybe with Gaetan Haas as the center and Josh Archibald as the winger. And that's kind of a, just a line that just gets on the horse and rides as hard as they can for 60 seconds and gets off the ice. But you're going to, maybe you get 20, 25 goals out of a fantasy in that role, which would be probably worth that kind of money. So I, I'm not averse to him. I'm not averse. Like if, if Holland was to qualify him, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be pulling out my hair, my whatever hair I have, that, that um, th- this was a bad move. This isn't necessarily a terrible move because the guy can put up points. There is also a chance, Bruce, that he could play with McDavid, who is not an easy player to play with, who doesn't necessarily need to play with um, – other give-and-go players, but maybe someone who takes the puck hard to the net could work with McDavid or who could go hard to the net. Like a slight alteration on a Thanasios game might work with McDavid. I'm not so convinced of that. I'm not I'm not pushing that. But if he is just, as you say, like this third-line winger who can score some, that's that's a very valuable player. I do want to get into the, uh, the last point I'll make is the two second-round draft picks, right. which is a confounding factor for Holland because – for him to just to not to qualify a fantasy on some level is to admit that he made a mistake in giving two second round draft picks, which would be very hard for Holland to do. Right. It's essentially an admission. Hey, I didn't get this right. But this is what this is the sunk cost fallacy, which I refer to in my post where, you know, the two draft picks, they're gone. Right. And and compounding compounding that with giving him a contract that he doesn't deserve if he doesn't deserve it doesn't make that better. doesn't bring, bring back those picks. It actually makes it worse. If that's part of your motivation is to prove that you were right in trading those picks. So Holland has to get forget the sunk cost on a fantasy and just look what is the best decision. And in the end, Bruce, I think the best decision, you know, given that a fantasy, I think, is unlikely to accept a lower contract right now, which is the rumor, mm-hmm. like the voters are going to make a lower bid for him right. below his contract price of $3 million. Um, that they can qualify him at. They might give him like 2.2 million. Mm-hmm. I think it's unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely Athanasio will accept that. Right. So what might have to happen is he'll have to go on the market, see what's out there, see if he can get more. And if he can't, then maybe he and the owners then will come to some kind of conclusion. And when I look at this market of teams having low revenue, 
teams needing to, okay, first of all, teams having low revenue, tons of uncertainty, lots of teams wanting to cut costs because their owners have lost a lot of money, a flat salary cap. I think that the thing to do in this market is not to be first in, but to wait, wait and wait, because there's going to be lots of bargain players, equivalent to a Tyler Ennis, I think, uh, in this market who might give you close to what a fantasy will give you if it's not him. And th th this market will reward the patient. So maybe be patient with a, a fantasy or don't qualify him. Indicate you want to sign him, sign him, but maybe he's got to test the market first. Yeah, well, I think the low the low ball offer is the play at this point. You know, yeah. with the, with the uh, which we now know free uh, agency opens on October the 9th, I believe it is. So we're a month away from that. Uh, so presumably the qualifying offers will will have there'll be some deadline just before the draft, probably October fourth or fifth, something like that, for for the qualifying offers to be made. Where we know about these restricted free agents. Now, in the case of Athanasiu, a further complicating offer is they they could make a qualifying offer, and he could then file for arbitration, and uh, you know because he's he's uh, at that status. And with that 30-goal season in his past and 18, 16-goal seasons before that, who knows what the arbitrator uh, might rule. Uh, Could the owners walk away from that? Uh, there's a certain price point, and uh, I've forgotten exactly what that is. Uh, he would probably be very close to that, where the team could just walk away from the arbitration. But that, too, is you know kind of a stinging loss as well, where you've you know basically given up on those picks. Um, I guess one course of action is you try and trade his rights to another team looking for offense on the on the wings and maybe try and recoup one of those two second round picks i'm not sure you'd have a prayer or getting them both you um, would no but you might might be able to get one um, do you think a team would trade for him for his rights i mean he's a 26 year old former 30 goal scorer with uh, tremendous blazing speed like there you know there's reason to like the guy um whether, uh, you know, I think the team would rather trade for a signed player, but sometimes when you get to, you know, when you get to a, a place where you're not going to sign him, you see these players get, you know, their rights get moved to some other team uh, and, you know, something recouped for them. So, so maybe a team like um, Ottawa or Florida, who's going to lose, like, like these low revenue teams who are looking for top line wingers. Mm -hmm. um, and don't have a lot of them. Like, let's say Florida loses Hoffman to free agency, right. or or Ottawa, who just needs players, or New Jersey, who needs players. They might, and they, you know, they're they're kind of a budget team. They might think, well, this is this could be our second or top line winger. Mm -hmm. So that team might think, okay, I'll trade a second round pick for him and qualify him. Especially a team like Ottawa that has about a million picks in the top three rounds. You know that Montreal for players, yeah. So there, I mean, there is there is some of that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, he he would have different degrees of interest for different types of teams too. But uh, uh, I, you know, I, I I read your post and I I thought you know the the idea of them qualifying him at just you know the exact same figure. Like I honestly don't think because of how poor his last season was uh, that he has much of a case for a big raise and and. Uh, Ultimately, it may just become a waiting game where the Oilers offer him 
two plus million and he, he'll say, no, my qualifying offer is three. Let's wait until the deadline. Either you qualify me or you don't. And if you don't, I'm free to look around. Once you get to that stage, the likelihood of him circling back to Edmonton is actually not that great, I wouldn't think. I, I agree, Bruce. Yeah, that's unlikely. Um, at that point, you're the benefit of waiting, of course, is then you can also wait on these other teams to see if one of them does get interest in giving a second round pick or a third round pick for a fantasy, which is, which is, I, I could see a third round pick being quite likely, actually. Um, mm-hmm. if, if they can get a second, I think if they can get a second back, then it's actually, you know, you paid a second to take gamble on a fantasy this year. And the other second you were giving was because you could qualify him at 3 million and think he might be worth that. So, they can get a second pick. I think that's the the trade actually has worked out for the orders at that point. You know, um, I'm skeptical that they will get a second round pick for a Thanasiu. For um, well, you know, which 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 would indicate to me that, that they shouldn't qualify him. You know, if that's his value. Uh, so I, I I'm just really on the fence. But his 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 even strength scoring over the last two years, in comparison to these other wingers, did give me pause. Like. Um, you know, why are we so excited about, are these, you know, maybe they're much better defensive players, Johnson, DeBrusque, and Toffoli than Athanasiu. Maybe they are. Maybe maybe they fit in, would fit in much better with Connor McDavid, which is another possibility. Um, but the results in terms of scoring are very, very similar. So uh, I, put a, I put a lot of weight in that, actually. Um, points per 68 at even strength, I think, is a, quite a useful stat in rating mm-hmm. offensive play over time. So... Bruce, um, you took a look at, you're comparing the Oilers to various teams and um, that are in the playoffs and still doing well. And a common denominator seems to be that these other teams have done a much better uh, job on day two of the draft at finding yeah. talent than the Edmonton Oilers. So the Edmonton Oilers have been for years, until with the, until maybe just the exception of 2015, when they got Caleb Jones... Um, Ethan Bear and John Marino on the second day. The orders have been exceptionally bad in that regard. And other teams that are, are advancing in the playoffs this year have been either or good or exceptionally good at that. What do, what do you? What was the latest comparison that you looked at? Okay, uh, yeah, so I'm looking at the four conference finalists that are all now in Edmonton. Uh, one of whom is going to win the Stanley Cup, and one of the the uh, each of the teams is built remarkably differently. They each have a totally different approach. There's different pathways to success in the National Hockey League. It's not just one blueprint that works for everyone. But one common theme, as you pointed out, is that all of these teams have built uh, important players uh, in the second day of the draft, with the exception of Vegas Golden Knights, which are a completely different animal altogether. And that's the team I'm going to be covering last because they, you know, they were all built through the expansion draft and deals around it. But in the case of, uh, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, all these guys were drafted on day two. Nikita Kucherov, Anthony Sorelli, Alex Kalorn, Braden Point, Cedric Paquette, Andre Palat. I mean, that's uh, uh, two big-time superstars and some excellent two-way players. Uh, Palat's a big scorer for them, taking 208s overall. Uh, when I looked at New York Islanders on day two, uh, they got uh, Casey Sezikis, Anders Lee, Scott Mayfield, Adam Pellick, De- Devin Taves, three top four defensemen on that team, all cheap defensemen making uh, under 
$2 million a season uh, that uh, they drafted, you know, 2012, 2014, uh, that they were that they were able to pick up uh, these guys, and also even Matt Martin that they got as a as a fifth round draft pick. Uh, he he did leave the team and he came back. So I've listed him as you know they got him by trade, but really he's been an Islander for many many years, and they have this kind of team continuity on New York first round draft picks as well. You know Josh Bailey, Brock Nelson, thirtieth overall, so the very last pick of the first round. So a very similar category of player uh, that they were able to. Uh, you know, those guys have been the face of that team for years. And I've had a constant complaint that the Oilers have not kept their their uh, interior, not just their star players, but their kind of depth and, and core players. You look at these teams, you look at second line, third line uh, guys, they've got uh, players that have been kicking around for years that are, you know, associated with that team. And then uh, today I'm writing on Dallas and in rounds two through uh, seven, second day of the draft, they got Jamie Benn, uh, Rupee Hints, two forwards, and key defensemen uh, John Klingberg and Essa Lindell. So here now is finally uh, a sparkle of hope for the Oilers. John Klingberg and Essa Lindell are both like big-time important defensemen for the for the Stars. But you know what? It wasn't until a draft plus five season that John Klingberg made an impact in the NHL. And it wasn't until his draft plus five season that Essa Lindell made his impact in the NHL. They were both picked, you know, 131 overall, 74 overall. So they're not big. It takes these guys time. And they have exact parallels on Edmonton and Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear, both of whom made the NHL this year in their draft plus five season. Obviously, they're years behind. They may... Good chance they're not as good as Klingberg and Lindell, who are terrific players. But there's room for growth there. And there's sort of, here's a parallel. They're just behind the curve because for so many years, the Oilers got nothing out of day two of the draft. And, you know, only like this year, two rookies. And Jujar Kara is sort of their only holdover player that they've had for a while that was a, a picked on the second day of the draft. And you compare that to the lists I just gave you for all of these other teams that are in the Stanley Cup semifinals, and it's just a gaping void on the Oilers' resume. And unfortunately, that's not a problem you fix overnight. It takes a long time. I note that on the Dallas Stars defense in their top four is J- Jamie Oleksiak for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first-round pick. They waited for him for a long time. And he went to Pittsburgh for a while, too. I got in trouble years ago for suggesting that the Oilers should trade their first pick, who turned out to be Darnell Nurse, and Sam Gagne, who had a big kind of messy contract at the time for for Jamie Oleksiak. Mm-hmm. And um, for a long time, and you know, the, the fair analysis of my suggestion there was that it was a bad suggestion then. It is it is interesting that he that, with these bigger player. players, eh, these huge lanky guys. Sometimes it does take a long time for it to come together for them, but I do think that's happened finally with Alexiak, who who looked awfully good as a 19 year old in the AHL, but took some time to develop in the NHL. Yeah, Bruce, it's so disappointing. Like you know, for for, for I, and again because we're old timey fans, uh, you know, we grew up in the Barry Fraser era you know, which was this kind of miracle run of drafting. You know, not only were the Oilers gifted with the miracle of Wayne Gretzky, but they were gifted with the miracle years of drafting that Barry Fraser uh, had, where he he found Hall of Fame players regularly 
uh, in the late later rounds of the draft, like Mark Messier, Yari Curry, and um, just an amazing Glenn Anderson, just an amazing Asatikinen. It was just, and so for us to be the worst or one of the worst, it's just really disappointing. The Oilers drafting, you know, under Stu McGregor and Kevin Prendergast and Barry Fraser. And, you know, it looked like it was turning around a bit with Bob Green in charge there. He had a pretty good year, I believe, that first year. Mm-hmm. And Keith Gretzky. Now we'll see how Tyler Wright did. You know, he Tyler Wright didn't kill it in Detroit. So we'll see how this goes, but it's absolutely crucial. It's the Detroit Red Wings, as Ken Holland knows, was built on great drafting, but that ended in the last decade of Ken Holland's time in Detroit. They didn't have great drafting. He he kept around the same old scouts, and he got the poor results in that last decade. So uh, we'll see how it we'll see we'll see how it goes, Bruce. You know the thing about Caleb Jones. You, you know you raised him as a a player. I, I'm. I think in the modern NHL, you also do have to make room for players. And um, if the Oilers can't move Chris Russell this year, and we'll talk about that in a second, I think they're going to have to move either Nurse. I I believe they should move either Nurse or Clefbaum to make room for Caleb Jones if they can't move Chris Russell. And I don't think Jones, in terms of his even strength performance, will be much worse than either Jones or or either Clef Bomber Nurse, and he might be better. And, um, I, you know, with the rumors that Brian Lawton has, prediction that Brian Lawton has made, I should say, about seeing top four demon move from the orders, I do think Ken Holland really is thinking about moving Oscar Clef Bomb for a top winger. And, um, you know, there's there's a number of players who who are who are out there who might make sense in terms of that. You know, there's Nikolai Ehlers from Winnipeg. There's Max Domi from Montreal. Um, there's Johnny Gaudreau from Calgary, who I don't think they're going to get. He would cost too much as well. Ehlers might as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's free agent Taylor Hall. There's Brett Connolly from Florida, who's a slightly lower price point, but in the last two years, he's averaged 2.2 points per 60 at even strength. Ehlers is at 2.5, and Gaudreau is at 2.7. So I don't think it's out of the question that the Oilers, you know, we might be hit with a kind of a blockbuster kind of trade here. And I don't know if Clefbaum has that kind of value to bring back that kind of player or not. Certainly not Gaudreau. Maybe he would be the main piece, though, in a, in a trade for one of those other guys. Well, he's got a lot of value uh, uh, for the reason that his, his contract is pretty favorable. You yes, know, for a guy that plays 25 minutes a night to be coming in at anything under $5 million a year with, and locked up for three years, uh, there's a lot of value there. And, and for that reason, I'm pretty loath to, uh, to the idea of trading the guy. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, what you say about making room is true. I mean, ideally, uh, Caleb Jones comes in on the third pairing and maybe yes. fills in in the top four if someone goes gets hurt for a while as opposed to uh saying he's ready for top four duty he did he did show promise uh when he filled in for Clefbaum and uh when oscar was hurt there uh and the oilers were able to tread water during that time um uh, with you know without oscar but uh, uh as you say the perfect world solution is they move on from uh, the last year of chris russell's uh contract 
uh, they use the cheat code that is uh, Daryl Cates' deep pockets, and they they take advantage of the fact that uh, uh, two and a half million of Russell's four million cap hit is prepaid, and they move on from the cap hit and, and create space that way, and then the same move, not just create cap space, but create a space in the top six for Caleb Jones. And so that, you know, that's a move that would have a double benefit to the Oilers if they were able to pull it off. That's why I call it the the alpha move for Ken Hall mm. in this summer is trading Chris Russell. I think it's if if he can pull that off without taking a poison pill back, you've had a successful summer, just like trading Lucic uh, was last summer. And I know that there's, you know, you're, you're reconsidering the Lucic trade yourself. I am, um, because they got so much crap back in return, you know. They did, in but they got rid of They got a big, they got a big contract. They, they lost a draft pick. They lost cap retention. We, we've been through it, but they, they gave up a lot to move on from that one. I think they can, uh, my prediction is they will be able to move Chris Russell. So he has, he has to give them a list of 15 teams that he can be traded to. And, um, but... There's, there's two factors, Bruce, that make me think they can move a guy. First of all, he's a good player still, like mm-hmm. especially a good defensive player. So if you're looking for – what do you got going on there, man? Just uh, the cat issue or something crashing around there in the background. Um, so I'll just wait till you're back, Bruce. Putting on the headphones, searching for the headphones, headphones on. There we go. So as I was, as I was saying, there's a few factors that make me think they can trade Russell. He's a good defense. He's a very good defensive hockey player. He's a veteran player. He's still got some game left. And and I to the point where if the, if he was back on the Oilers as your third pairing left D man, he's expensive for your cap hit, but he still can help you win. I think he's good penalty killer as a third pairing guy, and maybe on some teams as a as a caddy for a more kind of offensive defenseman in the top four. I think Chris Russell can still play. Um, so I was looking at teams that have both let in a lot of goals last year, so might be looking for that kind of solid defensive player, and also low-revenue teams, teams that didn't yeah. pull in a lot of money last year and might be looking for someone who's got a high cap hit but l- much lower salary. So with with Lart, with uh, Russell, that's just $1.5 million left to pay for him this year. He's already had a $1 million signing bonus. So the teams that, that popped out, Florida and Ottawa, which are weaker teams. Now, Russell might want to go to Florida. You could see him thinking, yeah, maybe Florida. I don't know if he'd want to go to Ottawa. There's also Anaheim, lower revenue team that let in a lot of goals. Um, There is um, Buffalo, which I don't know if he'd want to go to Buffalo, let in a lot of goals, lower revenue team. There's San Jose, which is kind of a middle revenue team, uh, but let in a lot of goals. San Jose, that's that, you know, that I'm thinking maybe San Jose might, you know, Chris Russell and Mrs. Russell. I don't know if there's a Mrs. Russell, but they might want to, they might be thinking. There hmm, is. San Jose. baby during the season. There you go. Nashville. That's another team in this kind of middle, middle of the rung uh, in terms of um, revenue. Uh, but actually letting quite a bit of goals this year, Nashville did. Um, so. Uh, Anah- so Anaheim, Nashville, San Jose. Those would be the three. Those would be the teams that I, I'd be thinking. Maybe. And then there's in in Canada. There's Calgary and uh, Winnipeg. You can see he's. I think he lives equidistant 
between almost between his, I think it's ranch is equidistance between Calgary and Edmonton. So, and then there's Winnipeg, which is further off, obviously. But so the benefit to Russell is in Edmonton, if they don't trade him, Jones should play ahead of him anyway. He's a seventh D man. And we've talked about this before. If he wants, he, Chris Russell might be thinking, Hey, I got a lot of hockey left in me. I don't right. just don't want to play one more year. I want to play three more years. Oh, yeah. I want to oh, keep yeah. going. And he, he may be thinking that, uh, although having t- blocked as many shots as he has over the years, maybe he's not thinking that, but maybe he is. And he might be thinking, I want to go to a team where I'm going to be in the top four or at least get, be assured of steady ice time in the bottom. <laughs> and that's probably not going to be Edmonton. So he may be actually open uh, to, to moving to some of these places. So I think, I think that they'll be able to work a trade. What do you say? Well, his list has only got 15 teams on it, right, that he can't be traded on. So, I mean, that that does give Holland 15 other teams to talk to directly without needing permission. Yeah. And I go back to the fact that if he finds a good fit from the organization standpoint, he then uh, he talks to the player and his agent and says, well, this is, you know, let's say they work out something with Arizona. That's what I'm looking at is Arizona. And yeah. say, say Arizona's on, on Russell's no-fly list. But if he works something out there and say, well, Arizona, they, you know, they, they just moved on from from three high end defensemen. They need uh, veteran leadership. They got, you know, uh, things going on there and, and they're looking for uh, a veteran who might be able to help them out for not just this year, but a couple of years beyond. You know, and just talk about the options. And one of those options is you're going to spend a lot of time in the press box in Edmonton, Chris, the way things are, are shaping up. And that's not going to help your bargaining power down the road now, is it? And it may well be that that's the theory. And then, of course, once the game starts, somebody gets hurt and then he's out of the press box and we're back into uh, back into situation as normal. But uh, I do think there's there's room. You know, we're talking about uh, a mature uh, player here. And uh, honestly, um, for all the flack that he takes from the fan base, Chris Russell has never caused the Oilers one second of, of um, you know, negative publicity. He's been a consummate pro, to my, to my view. You know, he's not my favorite player, but I respect him as a, as a professional. And, you know, when, when laid out with the options, he and, uh, uh, you know, at the end of their careers, lots of players, you know, move around and, and and find a place where they fit. So he and his wife, I think she kept her maiden name. I think her name is Caroline Cowboy. Could be Caroline mistaken. Cowboy, did you say? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> a little thick there for a second. Pen, penny drops. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't think it's as insuperable a problem as some make it out to be that he's deliberately picking a list of teams that would be the only ones I could possibly trade on to force Edmonton to keep him because that's what kind of a guy Chris Russell really is. Uh, I don't see that. And I, I, I think there's a pretty reasonable chance. And like I say, the Arizona situation, that's the volatile one where, you know, if you offer, uh, I'm just blue skying here. Uh, the Oilers don't have draft choices to offer Arizona, which they're looking for, but they do have prospects and they do have defense prospects. And let's say Arizona is in a situation where they're moving on from from uh, Goligoski and Demers and so on. Uh, 
and they're a looking to get to the cap floor without spending a lot of money but you throw at them chris russell and a good defense prospect like say dmitry samarkov and you ask for darcy kemper and see what happens Ooh. oh of course that's a trade the owners would jump all over i think in a second well, but, maybe Arizona will with their new circumstance. It's, yeah. uh, they, they're clearly changing gears. They got rid of their GM. Uh, they got in trouble with the league. They lost draft choices. And they're looking clearly to do a reset, uh, I, near as I, I can tell. Yeah, so, I, I think you're going to need a draft pick to get Darcy Kemper, personally. Well, but Dmitry Smorkov we'll, was a pretty good draft pick who's developing, you know, into... Yeah, so... You know, I mean, picks or prospects, but it's going to have to be a good prospect. You're not going to throw in a third-tier prospect and call it a day. It's going to yeah. be someone Arizona, serious upside. Arizona was one of the best defensive teams in terms of goals against average last year, but Brian Lawton indicated, according to his uh, advanced analytics, that that had a lot to do with heroic goaltending, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, which would have come from all three of the goalies had pretty good save percentages, so maybe maybe they just had three really good goalies there. Uh, but they are looking at trading. We have heard rumors of them looking to trade Ekman, Larson, Goligoski, Jarmelson, Demers. So you're right, Bruce. That's that that's a real possibility for Russell. I do, and so my prediction is he will be traded this summer. I, I made a similar prediction last year with Lucic that he would be traded. I'm one for one on the on this kind of prediction. So we'll Bingo. see if I we'll keep track of this person and see if I get this right. What what do you think? Do you think he will be traded or not? Well, one year Chris Russell at four million uh, cap hit and and much lower contract is an easier sell than four years of Milan Lucic's yeah. uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse. So uh, I think it's a safer bet. I'm still kind of shocked they moved the Luch- Lucic deal, even at the price they paid. But uh, I, I think it's a pretty good bet, and I just think we're at that point. I mean, when you step back and look at Chris Russell's contract, to me it was a a three-year deal at four and a half million, and they tagged on the fourth year with the extra signing bonus and the much lower rate with the idea of being, okay, you want security of a fourth year, then, then uh, uh, it, you know, it's diminishing returns. It will bring down our cap hit by 500 grand a year uh, to add that fourth year. But uh, by the time that that contract is in the home stretch, uh, there's no guarantees that you're still going to be an oiler. And they and they gave him, you know, three years here in addition to the one when he originally signed the one-year deal. He's been an oiler for four years now. And this is a player who's on his fifth NHL team right now. So uh, he knows the lay of the land. And I, I think I, I, I would bet 60-40 that he's moving. It's interesting. He's yes. at, okay. He is 33. He's earned yeah. a lot of money over the years. Yeah. He's already been paid a million five, right? His signing bonus this year. What's with the million? with the clawback, the various clawbacks are going to happen on that million five. It's going to be a lot less. Right. There's not. I'd say there's a non-zero chance, like greater than a non-zero. How do you phrase that? A non-zero chance that he will retire. Um, it's a possibility. You know, with COVID going on and. We just don't know with we, what we've seen. I think with some of the older players who've made a lot of money is you know um, do they really want to endure uh, an NHL season? Maybe played in a bubble, but I, I have, I'm just speculating completely. I have no idea where what, what Russell's minds, and it's just as likely that he wants to play many more years. I think probably he wants more to play likely. Ho- I think he wants to play hockey. He he lives to play hockey. His impression I get. 
I really like him as a hockey player, if I'm completely honest. I, I love his defensive play. I love him on the PK. I love I and I like him even as on the left side of the defense. I just can't take it anymore on the right side with him playing there. And I just thought it was a bad move by Tippett to insert him on the right side in the playoffs. But that's on the coach. It's not on the player. Uh, well, Larson getting hurt didn't help matters any. Put I, Jones they in. Had to put someone on the right side. But yeah, yeah, I would have put Jones. There were other options. Yeah, I would have played Jones right from the top. But that's a we've already been through that. Like my various critiques of the coaching. Uh, Bruce, the last thing on our list is just a real oh, Bush. The the owners have found homes now for Bouchard and Gaetan Haas in Europe, and. Uh, Bouchard's going to the second division in Sweden, and Haas is going back to his old team in Switzerland. And I have to say, I was thrilled with mm-hmm. both moves. I just think it's essential that Bouchard keep playing. I was glad to see Haas keep playing. Um, Bouchard is just—he's got to keep developing, and he's on the right track right now. This is just a really good move. He's going to a team where they need—I don't know how to pronounce it—Soder, Charlie, Soder, Ollie, or something. <laughs> Uh, where where they're looking, they don't, this is a cut below. So if the Finnish league and the Swedish league are essentially the equivalent of the AHL, and I think they're close enough to say to say that, this would be a, a decided cut below that. So Bouchard should be the best player, most talented player on the team. Um, even if he doesn't get a ton of ice time, because it's just for, he's there for a short time, not a long time. Um I just like that he's going to be practicing playing. He's going to experience a whole other hockey system, whole other world of hockey. Um, he's, he's just going to, I think it's going to be healthy for this player's development to go through this and uh, excited to see it. And I want, what, what I'm hoping now is, and I don't know if Ken Holland is, is the one parking, you know, who was able to set this up because of his contacts in Sweden, park Bouchard over there. But I'd love to see Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi follow because uh, we've already seen Samarukov, Maximov, and McLeod get placed in European leagues. And I hope Holland has the connections to get Benson and Marodi over there if they're open to that. Yeah, I mean, the Oilers have done a tremendous job, really, at this point, uh, placing uh, of their top 15 prospects. I've lost count, but it must be around 10 by now that have uh, a second home uh, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, either for the whole, and, yeah. whole season or at least for the first um, uh, opening months, which the Bouchard deal actually gives the uh, the team the option of bringing them back for training camp. Uh, same, of course, with Haas and Nigar, the two actual NHLers who are, who are loaned over there. Uh, but uh, with some of the players, they had to make commitments for the entire season. Uh, but most of them are prospects that weren't really in the plans for the Oilers in 2021 one in any event so it was um just uh, just sharp business practice by me and the fact they were able to not just get their european-born prospects playing back in their native countries but now they've been able to find homes for both raphael lavois and uh evan bouchard uh with lavois yeah yeah right right three of them so yeah they've got um uh they've got all kinds of uh uh opportunity for their young guys to to play and for their still developing guys which i mean Nigard and haas it's i mean it's not going to be a new situation for them but it's going to be a way for them to get themselves into top shape and ready to come over and take camp by storm at such time as it happens 
really like it, Bruce, and mm-hmm. and they will. Like, remember the, the year of the lockout, you know, when those players from Oklahoma City got in the NHL, they had a pretty good start. Nugent Hopkins, Hall, Everly Schultz, they had been playing all the time in the in the AHL, and they were just really ready to go when the NHL seasons finally started during the last lockout year. So, uh, yeah, and again, if they can play Spence and Merodians, I think Skinner would be the last guy, the goalie. Um, that might be a little harder. Goalies are always a little bit hard. Yeah, that's deal, for sure. They can if they can move any of those guys, uh, that'd be uh, I'll be open to that. So, Bruce, the last um, little controversy that we'll deal with is Puliyarvi, and I made an argument in the last podcast based on his um, performance with McDavid that he actually, you know, the, the big criticism of Puliyarvi is that he's not earned it. He hasn't earned playing with McDavid. Uh, but but I would you know my argument was well actually if you look at his numbers with McDavid he had you know those two guys had more success if you look at goals for plus minus than any other uh, combination McDavid's had since he got to the Oilers is that kind of not earning it um, now on the other hand if you look at Puliyarvi's scoring in his last year at, at Edmonton Bruce and we just talked about Fantasio being at one point nine per sixty Puliyarvi was at zero point nine per sixty absolutely atrocious level of scoring so that so the people who are saying he hasn't earned it that's what they're looking at like just like this guy came to the nhl he didn't put up points at all now i would say he was hurt that year he played with me and lucic a lot of the time um there was just no chemistry there and there was extenuating circumstances and when you put him with a player who can play like mcdavid um he did very well and you know he I, I don't know how many goals he scored today in the Finnish league, but the last time I look, it was two. I think I think they're into their regular season now. So he, you know, some people aren't thrilled. You know, they say this is in the Finnish league, uh, not a not a not a great league. You know, it's pretty close when you look at NHL equivalencies. Pretty close to the <coughs> American <coughs> Hockey League is the truth. Yeah. So it's a pretty good league, and um, but Bruce, what I'm getting. When I add it all up, when I listen to people like Mark Spector, Bob Stoffer, Kurt Levins, who are in the, the you got to earn it camp, is a strong, they're not, they never, it's never quite said out in the open. But what I'm gathering from the remarks when I put them all together is, Pugliarvi ticked off his teammates in Edmonton. They, there was something about his maturity, his effort level, the way he played the game. They just didn't think he was ready for the NHL and they didn't like his attitude. And that's that's kind of when I put it all together, like, well, McDavid, if he wanted to play with Pugliarvi, he would have asked. And that never happened. So, you know, there and there's been enough hints through the years. I just think that um, there there was a serious question with the player's maturity level when he was first here, I think, is the, is the way I would phrase it. And I take that seriously. I don't think that's a small thing. I think it's a huge thing, actually. So. You know, he did have really great results with McDavid when he was here. He's having great results in Finland. He's a year older. My hope remains, and and it seems like an ever fainter hope, that he will come back and get another chance with the Oilers and be a different person. Everyone will be a different person than we were two years ago or a year and a half ago whenever he left. And that that will be enough for him to find a, a, a role on the Oilers, which I think could be a pretty significant role. That's where I'm left after this whole discussion. What about you? Well, yeah, it's 18 months now since uh, he played a game here. Uh, And, you know, you talk about extenuating circumstance. I mean, I go back to that. Uh, 
early in that season where they sent him down in uh, mid-November. They sent him and uh, um, Kyle Yamamoto out on the same day after both of them ripped it up in the preseason and were supposed to be the answers in the top six. And they wound up sending them both down to the AHL on the same day. And then they traded Pugliarvi's mentor, Ryan Strom. And then they fired the coach, Todd McClellan, and brought in Ken Hitchcock. And then Ken Hitchcock decided that he was the best man to, to be the uh, uh, coach for Pugliarvi and called him right back up to the NHL and stuck him in a bottom six role. And it just didn't click at all. I mean, you talk about 0 0.9 points per 60. Well, uh, like you say, his, the line mates that he played with uh, for much of that year, the fact that he had... Uh, uh, physical issues that led to double hip surgery uh, and in I think it was February the team decided they were going to send him back to the AHL and at that time he said no I'm going to get my get my surgery now because there'd been yeah. uh, two opinions that both said he needed it and uh, last year was a nice bounce back year for him and admittedly uh, a league that's about the same level as the AHL but uh, he was a point per game player in that league and uh uh, a, a dominant, exciting uh, player to, to, you know, highlight reel uh, in that league. Uh, it would be nice to see that player uh, with the Oilers without some of the baggage that's uh, accumulated to this point. And I guess the good news is that, uh, you know, Peter Shirelli is gone, uh, Tom McClellan's gone, Ken Hitchcock's gone. Uh, some of the players, though, uh, do remain, and if there's you know any kind of history of bad blood between them, they're going to have to bury that hatchet before they even begin. And uh, the good news here is that Pugliarvi himself is 18 months older, but so are some of the teammates that uh, he may have been uh, having issues with. And and without really having any inside knowledge of that, you'd like to see think that there's been some growing up done on all sides of the equation. And in a perfect world, uh, he comes back and helps the Oilers. In an imperfect world, they reach an impasse. And as Ryan Rashog tweeted yesterday or the day before, that uh, maybe the Oilers really are just going to uh, trade him out for, for picks, in which case, what do they get for him? A second pick, a second and a third, maybe, something like that. I'm not sure he's uh, uh, a team with several picks in the first round might trade a low-end first-round pick for him, a team like, say, Ottawa, that's trying to, you know, at least jumpstart their recovery. They got all those, all those, I think they got three in the first round. Maybe they trade out the third one to bring in a 22-year-old with a ton of talent uh, who needs a fresh start. And so, you know, maybe there's a fit for a deal of that nature. You know, I was thinking, like, you just wait another year with him, like let him, uh, like, put up a point and a half per game this year in Finland, maybe, and, and see what it's about. But, you know, I, I don't see, like... Uh, his value getting much higher than like, a, let's say a second and a third pick for him mm -hmm. in terms of draft picks first, maybe, maybe a low first, but I just, I'm not, I don't think so. You know, teams just get all excited about those first round draft picks and maybe a little mm -hmm. bit of irrational exuberance about the potential of the players that they could get. They might, they might be wise to trade for Pugliarvi, but you know, when you look at what Nikita Gusev got a second round pick, he, you know, he was a top scorer in the KHL, which yep. is the, you know, a, a dominant score in the KHL for years, mm -hmm. and um, he got oh. a second round draft pick. And, and when he when he came over, and uh, I think he put up two point two points per game in his first year, uh, per, per 60? sixty, per sixty in his first year in the NHL. 
So I don't see Pulley value getting much more than a second. So, you know, that's why I've always favored bringing him back to the team. But it seems like that, you know, you, when you read the tea leaves now, that moment's passed. Perhaps it looked like it might happen, but it's not looking like it's going to happen. You know, you just never know, though. So I'm still fingers crossed that he'll, he'll come back. And if he does, you know, I don't think it's incumbent on Dave Tippett that he give that he give Pulley a chance with McDavid. But I do think it would be wise. I, I think that the, you know, has he earned it? I mean, that's just a weird way of phrasing it on a, on a certain level. I mean, the, the, he had some good results. Let's see if he can replicate those results is, is how I would put it uh, myself. Did Ty Ratty deserve a chance on the top line? He got it. You know, I mean, it's sometimes it's a matter of finding, uh, you know, what's expedient that fits, that's affordable, you know. I mean, Unless you want to put your three top three salaried players on your first line, anybody else below that, you can say, well, what has he done to deserve it, right? I mean, what did Connor Sherry do to deserve to play with Sidney Crosby? See, well, he, he fit in with him and he produced. This is the this is where, where people are talking in code, though. I think when they're mm-hmm. saying did he earn it, what they're suggesting, I think, is he's actually exhibited behavior which says he 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 should be held back from that because he's not mature enough and he's not enough of a pro. To, right. to get that chance. He's pissing people off, ticking people off. So that's why he he's <laughs> that's why that's what the issue is. And so that's how I'm taking it. Now maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But that's how I that's how I see the code being spoken that, that there was actually so with Ty Ratty, did he earn it? Well what that means is he was enough of a professional that yeah, there was nothing that, that actually made people angry enough to not give him that job. And maybe with Pulley there was. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's some there's some baggage there below the water level that we just, you know, all we can do is speculate, and speculating yeah. on that kind of stuff is just fraught with peril. I really don't want to go. Yeah, that's why we go with the say, There's stuff, there's stuff going on. We don't know what it is. Uh, it could mount to an insuperable problem that that necessitates him being moved, but we we can't say that with any kind of authority because we don't have that knowledge. Yeah, and that's why you and I just tend to go with what we saw on the ice and with the numbers. And with McDavid, it worked actually pretty well, I thought, every time he was with McDavid. I, I liked that combination. So, I remember a game, David, against um, 